welcome back to another episode of Stories from a Mountain Town. Uh, today with me we have another new friend of mine, Alicia Tolar. Toler? Toler. <laughs> I literally just asked her this a second ago how to say her name. Um, say hi to the nice people, Alicia. Hi, nice people. And unnice people as well. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully there are a lot of people and some of them are not nice. Um, so thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Our, um, as always, we're doing our guest, uh, had our guest bring in uh, some sort of cocktail or drink that they wanted to have while we did this, and Alicia chose um, Catamount Whiskey from Grand Teton Distillery over here here in Driggs, or near, near us in Driggs, Idaho. And then, um, since we're both not feeling super hot... Um, she made us some hot toddies out of that. So that was really good. Thank you for doing that. Absolutely. It's helped. <laughs> yeah, because I don't I didn't feel up to my up to just sipping on some straight whiskey today <laughs> when when I knew you were coming over. And Bridger has decided to join us now apparently. Hi buddy. Hi. Yeah. Awesome. So uh, I've known Alicia here for like five, six months now, right? Yeah. Yeah, and met through um, our other friend Jeff Moberg, he's also on the podcast. Um, when you back when you worked at Steel, but now you're doing. I am, explain what you're doing. Yeah, for your, your I job. started my own company yeah, um, awesome. as a production consultant. Um, I do business consulting as well, but primarily production in the apparel industry. Yeah. So awesome. <laughs> Hi, buddy. Bridger wants to be included too. He's coming to sit with us. Yeah, an important um, member. Yeah. So team. for people who probably don't know what what you would do for companies. Can you kind of walk that walk through that? So I kind of can do anything from the start of just coming up and creating products and designing products, um, picking colors for a season. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of, is that kind of similar to what, what Jeff does where you're not like a designer per se, but you yeah. would like look at, you know, what colors or what features might be yep. hot that for that type of, uh, item and say we should do these colors yep. with these kind of zippers because these are popular right now yeah, in the market. Yeah, exactly. As well as um, looking at it against kind of like what the financial cost is of helping yeah. them pick trims, um, like zippers and buttons and things like that that mm-hmm. financially um, are affordable but also enhance you know the product um, up to taking it from that initial stage of just a concept of something they want to make. Um, into turning it into having a proto of it made, having the first sample made, um, and then improving it through that proto process, Mm -hmm. and then working with a factory to actually take it through production and get it made, and then sold to customers. Yeah, awesome. So do you, are you just working as a freelancer, or do you have a name for your little business? Um, My business is Kiara Works. Awesome. I named it after my dog. Yeah. Because that's me. Yes. So yeah, named it after the dog, and she is my other co-worker yeah. who spends most of the time just snoring on the couch while I'm working. A lot of valuable input there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, things um, taking a different path with Steo than I kind of thought and planned um, has really worked out because this is something I've always wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and my time at Steo really kind of gave me the last push that I kind of needed to actually like take that step mm-hmm. and really do it instead of, you know, just continuing to kind of be like, well, I don't know, like anyone like do I know enough to do that like and I do um so it was definitely like a positive experience to get me 
to finally be able to take that step. And it's been really great so far. So Yeah, and it's so much more fulfilling doing the work because uh, for your own little business because it's you know you're building something for yourself. Yep, exactly. And not and Steel's a small company, so you felt probably like you were building something special there too. But you know, in bigger companies, you don't really feel like you're building something, or you, the work you're doing is making your CEO and your the shareholders richer. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's not super fulfilling. I mean, obviously there there's income, and you know, if you're in sales yeah. and stuff like that, but it's a lot more you know soulfully fulfilling to do stuff for for your own effort for your own company for something that you can build in one day. You know. Yep. It's kind of your dream. Yeah, and one of the things for me with work that I like doing is like completing things and accomplishing things. Uh, and sometimes, yeah. And sometimes when you end up um, at other companies as they grow, like you just end up going to meetings all the time and yeah. like not really feeling like you've accomplished much. Um, whereas this kind of gets me back to like, okay, gotten this done, you know, like really task oriented. Um, projects with customers that you know have a timeline and an end date and you know goals that we really get to hit and it's more fulfilling for sure yeah that's one of the one of the worst parts about corporate america is all the meetings you have like yeah, i swear to god meeting. you have bridger be quiet you go lay down bridger doesn't like meetings either <laughs> he just likes food and treats and walks and things um but it's like they, they'll do these meetings They'll do like a meeting about a meeting and then they'll do a yeah. meeting after that meeting to talk about that meeting. And it's like, why is this – that's like three hours of my time that's wasted yeah. just talking about one meeting where we didn't even talk about anything. And half the time the meeting could just be an email. Yeah. Definitely. So that's super cool. Yeah. And you've lived in Jackson for how long? Or – well, you lived Almost in – Almost a year. You lived in Jackson. Yeah. Um, and then you just recently moved over to Victor. Yep. Went to the other side of the pass to Idaho. And you – so you came here – you said a year ago. Yeah, so I moved to Jackson about a year ago. Um, before that, I was in Bozeman, yeah. Montana, and I'd been there since '05, um, and I'd moved there from Virginia. Awesome. And Virginia so, is where you grew up. Mm-hmm. Yep, grew up in Virginia. Um, grew up on a horse farm. Used to show horses. Yeah. Stuff like that. So uh, you, we probably talked about this before, but what kind of show stuff did you do? Like, um, did you like? So my, my stepsister and stepmom do three-day eventing. Mm-hmm. That... I did Hunter Jumper. So it's kind of the same, yeah, right? Yeah, it's a piece of it. Yeah. Um, and then after a while, I kind of wanted something a little more challenging, mm-hmm. or at least challenging in a different way. So I started doing dressage. Mm. Um, I never showed doing dressage. I had only, you know, trained in it. Um, dressage is, if you see like in the Olympics, those, what they get the horses to do is so nuts. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. when they do the switching of the of the lead leg, mm-hmm. that always trips my brain out to yeah. see them do that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, Is it? Oh, yeah. Shit, Bridget's throwing up. <laughs> oh what happens when you eat deer feet? <laughs> yeah, hold on, folks. All right, sorry about that, folks. Uh, Bridger got a little sick, so I had to take care of him and I had to clean the stuff up. <laughs> um, but uh, riding horses. So you switched to doing dressage because you wanted a little bit different challenge yeah um what kind of horse did you have i actually had a pony that was caught in texas she was a wild pony that was caught in texas what do you mean by caught they just like went on fire yeah so with wild horses they 
tend to, in the different areas where they have them, yeah. when the population gets to be too big, a lot of times they'll round them up and catch some of them and sell them. And then either use that money a lot of times to help take care of the areas the horses are in or whatever, but it helps um, keep overpopulation from happening. Oh. So. Okay. Yeah. Are there wild horses, like, where are there other wild horse spots? Um, you know? North Carolina. Um, in Chincoteague, that's where there's a famous, there's some famous ones there. Oh. Um, I know there are in Texas. I think there's, and there's some out here in the West in different places. Yeah. Still. Um, it's kind of crazy. I don't think, didn't, um, horses aren't native to North America, right? I think no, we brought them. No, the Spanish them. brought them in. Yeah. Yeah. Europeans brought them, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's cool that they can bring, and maybe they, I don't know if, well, you know, what effect they have on. Uh, the ecosystem in a place because they didn't originate here, but it's cool that they can just adapt and ha- have wild horses then. Yeah. Awesome. So, um, walk us through, sorry, I'm trying to figure out what to ask next. So tell us, walk us through, um, why, so you, what, how old were you when you moved from Virginia to Bozeman? So I moved to Bozeman when I was 18 after I graduated high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I got into Montana State University. Yeah. Um, and I had decided to go out there um, for a couple different reasons, one of which is it's amazing out here. Yeah. Um, the other reason is I have rheumatoid arthritis, mm. and the weather in Virginia caused me to have a lot of health problems. And we, my parents and I had been out here on vacation, um, every year when I was growing up and I found my health was always a lot better. Um, and it's a lot drier climate out here versus being in the humidity. Back does, east. That, does that affect yeah. that stuff? Um, for me especially. Um, it's, it's different for everybody, but humidity tends to have an effect on it. That's why a lot of people live in like New Mexico and Arizona um, that have trouble with arthritis because it's so dry there. Yeah. It helps their joints a lot. So I'm, I'm not familiar really at all with Rheumatoid arthritis. Can you what is? Can you kind of explain that? So, and now arthritis is like joint pain. And it's stuff. joint pain. It's different. So osteoarthritis is what most people are used to. Yeah. Um. That's what people get when they get older, and it's deterioration of the joints, uh-huh. generally from just wear and tear over your lifespan. Um, rheumatoid arthritis is where your immune system actually attacks your joints because it sees them as being some kind of foreign invader. It doesn't oh. recognize your tissue as like a non-invasive. That's invader. weird. Yeah. Um, like what they would do if a, like a bad bacteria came, got into mm-hmm. your system somehow. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it tends to attack your joints. Um, with rheumatoid, if it goes untreated for a while, it you know can progress and it'll start to attack your organs. Mm-hmm. And you know if it continues long enough, it'll it can kill you. Um, are there any certain parts that uh, you it, it affects for you more than others? Yeah, so my hands and my knees have been the worst. Although as I've gotten older, my knees aren't as bad, and now my hips are worse. Mm. I like to talk about my old lady hip that yeah. I have because sometimes it it just doesn't move. It's uh. it's really weird. It just it kind of locks up. It's weird. It's hard to explain um, sometimes, but yeah. So. What do you do to help with that? Is there like you medicine? Or you do like stretches? Or yeah, anything? I do. I do medicine. I do um, 
I take oral medication, and then I do infusions every seven weeks. Or I have to go to the hospital and get an IV for several hours of medication. Um, and then I just kind of try to watch, like, taking care of myself, not drinking too much, which is <laughs> the trickier one. Yeah. Um, you know, making sure I sleep enough, you know, not getting overly stressed, which is challenging <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and just kind of trying to make sure I'm getting enough sleep, taking care of myself, you know, eating well, um, which, of course, when you get stressed, you tend to eat worse yeah. and then you get more stressed. And so you get stressed because you're eating bad. And exactly. Then it's a cycle. Yeah. yeah. It's a bad cycle. So I try not to fall down the cycle. Yeah. Um, but. Have you done any like messing with your diet to see if that can, can affect it? Yeah. Or if you're like, yep. you know, you just stop, you know. Stop eating meat or stop eating grains or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I do better if I cut out gluten, but uh-huh. um, I really like pizza. Yeah, that's tough. So I try my best to avoid it, but I'm not perfect at it. Yeah, so. especially with a place, places like Pinky G's around here. It's yeah, so hard exactly. when you're like out to not get a giant doughy slice. Yeah, what else are you supposed to eat at like 2 a.m. here? There's nowhere else open. It is, yeah, it's the only place open. It's and literally it's your only option. I, I love... Um, <laughs> I don't know when the last time you went there, late night was, but their their doorman, the guy that checks IDs there, mm-hmm. he's this big, he's he's like taller than me and like much heavier, like yeah. he's big and strong, redheaded dude, and he's just always in a good mood, always smiling, and I always say, tell him he's my favorite <laughs> uh, bouncer in Jackson because he's just happy, yeah. like every other bouncer is just being a dick and just like, yeah, like I'm 26, I shouldn't be worried about like getting into a bar. Yeah. But he's, he's just super nice. I, I love. And it's always funny it. to me going there because they do check your ID. Like at the door, you can't get in. Yeah. I mean, granted, how many people are going to be out and about at 2 a.m. that aren't out drinking? But it's just funny that like if you needed a 2 a.m. pizza fix. And you weren't. If yeah, you're underage, yeah. too, too bad. Yeah. You're going to starve. <laughs> yeah. It's going to work because it's just a little pizza restaurant with like. Yeah, I think they serve beer. It's not like it's not a they, bar. Well, they, they, they do have liquor, you know. yeah. But it's, I mean, it's a restaurant. Yeah, it's not like going into a club. It's just like a yeah. little pizza spot. Yeah, that's cool. So you went to Montana State. Yep. Um, what's there? Bobcats. Go Bobcats. Bobcats. Yeah. Yeah, I, I almost oh, went there. I didn't check the game. I don't know what's happening, but I really hope that they're look. beating the Grizz right now. Oh, it's that. It's the that yeah. It's game. the brawl of the wild today. I didn't. Brawl check. of the wild. Yeah. We'll look it up. It's like the oldest rivalry in the U.S. Really? Mm -hmm. Um, Bobcats won 48 to 14. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's that's cool too because they're both nine and three. Yeah. That's a good game. Yeah, they've been doing better this year. Um, past couple years, they were not very good for a while. So yeah. Very Um, cool. Yeah, I almost went to Montana State uh, for my college because I wanted to, you know, then too I wanted to go somewhere that. I could snowboard at and wanted to yeah. actually like the area I was going to where a lot of people that play like they try to go for sports they go to bumfuck South Dakota to play a yeah. higher division than they probably need to. Yeah. Um, well, and it's cool because they have like skiing is a class you can take there. Yeah. I took my freshman year. <laughs> it's like a, um, what kind of credit, credit is that? It's, I, I don't know. I think it might be like just a like a gen, yeah. gen credit. But yeah, three credits. To ski? Yeah, to go ski. You just, like, check in and say, like, hey, I went. Well, no, you have an instructor. So they, it was up at Bridger Bowl. Yeah. Which is, like, the local ski spot. And you would go and you, the first time I went to class, 
like you kind of meet in this one area and they have like people get in groups of like what your level is. Uh-huh. And I had skied very little in my life. I loved it, but I'd skied very little growing up in Virginia. So I was like beginner level. And so it was me and one other girl. Everyone else was like black diamond, like, you know, kids that had skied their whole lives. Yeah. So it was me and one other girl and one instructor. So we basically got private instruction. Oh, awesome. As part of our college course, because, you know, everybody else was good enough that they didn't, you know, they were with higher up. So yeah. it was kind of cool. So he just took us out. And is Bridger Bowl fun and a fun spot? I like Bridger Bowl. I like Big Sky better. How um, far away is Big Sky from Bozeman? Like 40 minutes. Oh, so it's still like a day. Yeah. You could do that. Yeah. Oh, for sure. You could totally go up there for the day. Um, it's more expensive. Yeah. But. Um, so would you like have a pass at Bridger and then just go to Big Sky occasionally or vice versa? Yeah. Um, yeah, because most everybody, too, the thing is, like, everybody there wants to go to Bridger. So, like, if your friends are going, they're all going to Bridger. So, yeah. just go with your friends to Bridger. Yeah, I've never been there. I probably need to bring Bridger, my dog, there because he's you named should. after what, what that's named after. I mean, you'll meet probably no less than 500 other dogs named Bridger. <laughs> really? Everybody and, are names Are there humans, their too, named Bridger? Uh, yeah. I've met one here. I met some here. Bridger's too. very popular. Yeah. But yeah, everybody names their black lab Bridger. Oh, really? Yeah, no one, <laughs> no, when I got here, everyone knew like what I named him after, but no mm-hmm. one in Minnesota or anybody anywhere else knows what yeah. his inspiration for his No, name is. that's like, it's one of the jokes there that like everybody drives a Subaru and names their black lab Bridger. Oh, really? That's <laughs> funny. Yeah. Yeah. So for those who don't know, he's named after Jim Bridger who was a, a mountain man back in the 1800s and he would uh, he, he kind of became this really 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 good guide for fur trapping excursions and like the army would use them because he spent so much time around Wyoming, South Dakota, Montana and Idaho. Uh, so he knew every little nook and cranny, every valley, every river and everywhere to get beaver pelts or if it was the army trying to kill Indians, he knew like how to fight the Indians. He lived with Indians. He married an Indian. He was like this crazy cool mountain man. And I've read a read a book about him and knew I needed to name Bridge or something about this area. So that's where I came from. And you know, you know who Jim Bridge is, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. There's a statue of him in Bozeman. There was. They yeah. might have taken it down. Yeah. This, but... So the book that I read is right on the shelf there. Um, a lot. He spent a ton of time here in Jackson, and then a, mm-hmm. a, even more time in Teton Valley in Idaho. That was like his main, mm-hmm. um, where he hunted and everything and lived over there. So there's like a, you know, when you're driving between, between Victor and Driggs, there's like a random plaque that you think is like a historical thing. Mm-hmm. That's the spot of a battle that Jim Bridger fought in right there. Mm-hmm. And I just yeah, think it's really cool to like. To like read it into my book, and then I was driving, and I was like, "I yeah. probably around here somewhere." And then I see like and the name of the there. battle, yeah. and I'm like, "Oh shit, this is right here." <laughs> yeah. So that's really cool. Um. So, what did you what did you major in at, <laughs> at Montana State? Um, I majored in biochemistry, and I minored in Native American studies. <laughs> Just coming around. That's such handy, a weird combination. You. So I had always wanted to be a doctor when I was younger. Um. And that was my life plan goal. Like yeah. I was going to become a doctor. And in 
Montana, they have this program where they will pay for medical school if you then in turn work on an Indian reservation for seven years when you get out of school. So I thought if I did Native American studies, it would boost my um, application for that program Um, once I got to that point. Uh, That point never came. (laughs) Um, When I got out of school, it was uh, when the recession started to hit. Um, So I kind of needed to work, get a job, had three jobs, Um, and eventually ended up getting a job at Mystery Ranch Backpacks, which is in Bozeman. Um, I had a friend that worked there, and they're kind of a cult-following backpack company. Mm-hmm. Um, Let me look them up. And got a job on the sewing floor. That was the red bag that you carried for me. Oh, yeah. The, the biggest backpack in the world. <laughs> that was one of theirs. Um, what was it? Mystery? Mystery Ranch. Um, so I got a job there sewing, um, and it was fine. I like sewing. I've sewed, I'd sewed before, you know, whatever. Um and after a couple months, got a job working part-time in the office on the operations team as a production assistant. And turns out I really enjoyed it. Uh-huh. <laughs> and over a couple of years, um, grew that position from just a part-time one day a week to a full-time position and then moved up in the company um, doing that. So that's kind of just kind of by accident ended up in the production side of manufacturing or even being in manufacturing yeah that's cool so so uh did you immediately go to um wanting to be around like coming up with products and design type of stuff or no um i mean i i liked it um but there are a lot of people there especially the founder of the company dana gleason who are just backpack geniuses like he's a legend. Like he's amazing. Um, backpack legend. Backpack legend. Yeah. He's a cult figure in Japan. Really? Yeah. Like they, there's a distributor they work with that they like made little dolls of him that they sell. <laughs> like it's a thing. Like Whoa. it's hardcore. They love um, their backpacks. Yeah, they love them. So, um, you know, at first when I started, I was like, oh, maybe I could like get into designing backpacks. And then I just realized, I just don't have like the mindset for it. I'm not a hardcore backpacker. I don't, I wasn't like super into backpacks and that's why I started working there. Yeah. I started working there because I needed a job. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that like idea in my head kind of came and went pretty quickly. Um, but then I started getting into, you know, kind of the production manufacturing side of it mm-hmm. and the numbers and, you know, due dates. And I really liked that. So, um, and then when I left there, I went to Duckworth, which is a little clothing company, mm-hmm. also in Bozeman. Yeah. Um, and then when I was there, I got more into the development and, you know, colors and dealing with lab dips and um, new products and clothing is something I was more able to, you know, be into the development of the backpacks. Yeah. So um, I definitely can on a small scale develop backpacks, but not like the level of, you know, a backpack guru. <laughs> uh-huh. So Yeah, that's cool. Did you, have you sp- done a bunch of trips to like factories then to go when you were in um, that role? Not as much um, with Mystery Ranch. I did with Duckworth. Um, they produce only in the U.S. Um, oh. So I did a lot of trips around the U.S. for that. 
Um, where were the where would you go for those um, Primarily North Carolina, um, and then Chicago. Interesting. Were their two main areas. So that's really cool that they manufacture here. Yeah. Because I I was asking Jeff <clears throat> the other day, you know, if America could ever manufacture stuff at mm-hmm. some sort of scale like the way a lot of those Asian countries do, yeah. and he said that probably not because it just takes so long and it makes us more expensive. It's it's definitely hard to do. I mean, one of the factories I've been to in North Carolina, actually there's several factories I've been to in North Carolina that they are primarily workers from Central America uh-huh. that move up to the U.S. Yeah. And that's who's on the sewing floor. It's not people that, you know, were born in the U.S. and raised here. It's people that immigrated here. Yeah. So I think it makes it tricky as well as there's not the machinery there's not, you know, the skilled labor anymore isn't here, um, which is kind of a bummer because I love the idea of American-made stuff. Yeah. Um, that's part of what I really liked about Mystery Ranch and Duckworth is both were U.S. Um, produced yeah, products. Yeah. So um, Mystery Ranch does quite a bit of military, so they have, you know, some requirements for the military stuff that it has to be made in the U.S. Yeah. Um. And then they did recreational packs for, you know, whoever as well. Um, and some of that's gone overseas, but some of it's still in the U.S. So Awesome. So you, um, and then, then when, uh, how long did you work at Duckworth before you came to Jackson? And, and I like, was there were for, were you like looking or? Yeah, I was there for three years. Um, I kind of started looking, um. I'm trying to think about what the next step was um, for me with my career. Uh-huh. Um, and I had kind of decided, you know, I'd done a bigger company with Mystery Ranch. I'd gone to a very small company at Duckworth and kind of wanted to go back and be in a little bit bigger company again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a recruiter reached out to me about CO. And then it just kind of progressed from there. And I actually had no intentions of ever leaving Montana. Uh-huh. I was like, yeah, sure, I'll talk to him. It's Jackson Hole. I'm not moving there. But sure, I'll talk to him. Why not? <laughs> you know, it never hurts to talk. Yeah, definitely. Um, and the next thing I know, a couple months later, I've packed up my entire life and moved down here. Yeah. So Had you been to Jackson before you moved here? I had been to Jackson one time when my parents and I had come out here on vacation, you know, when I was in middle school or high school yeah and then I hadn't been back out here since so when I came down for my interview um that was the first time I'd been here in years yeah and then yeah so I'd been here two times before I decided to to take the job and move here at that point and so is it a was it a career move that that the made you make that decision or was it um you know it's a good job and this place is really cool or like what was the thought process it was a combination of the two um I knew that I wanted to, you know, take whatever the next step was career-wise, mm-hmm. but I didn't want to move to a big city. I, I'm not yeah. a big city person. I like living out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um, and it's very hard to find those types of jobs in the manufacturing industry. Mm. So to be able to find something and a company like CO that was in somewhere like Jackson Hole, yeah. um, you know, it was just kind of too good of an opportunity to pass up because it had both of those components to it. Yeah, it's super cool that they actually do, um, you know, their their operations here. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if, do you know if Sully, like, grew up here or, like, lived here? Or? 
when he did his past companies, did he do it here too? I know Cloudvale was here. Uh-huh. I don't think he's from here. Um, Very few people like grew up here and stay here. Yeah, it's it's pretty rare. Um, like it would probably be hard to go downtown and just find someone that, like, if you wanted to find someone for the podcast that was born here and had lived here their entire lives, you'd probably have a really hard time finding someone. Yeah, I don't think I even know anybody. <laughs> All the people that I know in town. I don't think anybody grew up here. I know one person that works at Steel. Yeah. And that's, I think, everybody else moved here at some point. Yeah, that's cool. Now, maybe they've been here for, you know, 40, 50 years, but they've, you know, very few people are actually, like, from here. Yeah. And stay here. Definitely. So, you you pack everything up, you come down to Jackson. Um. And when did you, just might backtrack this a little bit, but when did you start your soccer podcast? <laughs> um, so the soccer thing was kind of random. Um, the 2010, so I'd never watched soccer before. I was really into like American football. Um, I liked American football for a long time. I was never into soccer. And then the 2010 World Cup was when it was in South Africa. That was a fun one. That was one that I got into a little bit. Yeah. I was visiting a friend over in Billings, Montana, one weekend that it was happening. And we were still all, you know, in college or whatever. And so we thought it was a great reason to stay. Because I think the games were like, you know, in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. So we thought it was a great reason to just basically stay up all night drinking. And so... (laughs) And watching soccer. And watching soccer. (laughs) Um, And so at some point during the drinking and watching soccer, I was like, this is really cool. I actually really like this. (laughs) And so, you know, I started getting really into it from there. First watching the national team. um, And then eventually I started watching um, EPL. And then I decided getting up at four or five o'clock in the morning to watch a soccer game every Saturday was ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And then I needed to find an MLS team if for no other reason so that I could sleep more. (laughs) Um, And so I eventually... Um, started following the Houston Dynamo, um, and what's your what's your Texas connection again? Like your dad grew up there or something? Nope, I don't really have one. <laughs> well, you're because you're a Cowboys fan too. Yeah, but that's everybody's a Cowboys fan. My dad was uh, a Cowboys fan. Only but, only losers are Cowboys fans. Um, I think he's Eagles fans, like Jeffrey. We can agree on that. <laughs> Eagles fans are losers. Sorry, Jeff. Um. Nobody's so pick, perfect, Jeff. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, nobody's perfect. So you picked the Houston Dynamo? Yep. Um, as your team, your new team. It was my new team. Started watching them. Um, then I got really in my, like, I'm one of those when I first get into something, I just want to learn as much as I possibly can about it. Yeah. Um, and I got really frustrated at the lack of people covering the team and the information on the team and... um. You know, I could find tons of information on other teams in the league, but not on them. So I decided I was going to start a Tumblr blog and cover the team. Uh, a Tumblr blog. <laughs> yep. Um, I think I had done that for like a month or so. And um, the guy who was running Dynamo Theory um, reached out to me to see if I wanted to join his site and come write for him. And I was like, holy shit, really me? Like... I don't know what I'm doing. Like, yeah. I don't even live there. <laughs> um, <coughs> and 
And so um, I said yes. And a little more detail on Dynamo Theory. It is a blog that is under SB Nation, um, which is this larger group of blogs that's part of the Vox Media um, group of, I don't know, blogs or, you know, Yeah, Vox, like media, the random whatever. videos you see on, like, Facebook and stuff. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, so I was like, yeah, sure. Um, and so I started writing for him with that, and then he also had this podcast he did that was just random soccer stories each week. And um, it was pretty popular. It was really funny because it was mostly just coming up with the weirdest stories on soccer you could find. Like, uh-huh. um, So at some point, the, the guys he was with um, quit doing it, and so he asked me if I wanted to come do it with him. So then I started doing that. Awesome. So, and this was all while I was still at Mystery Ranch. So I was doing the soccer writing and started doing this soccer podcast with him that was pretty, pretty popular in that, you know, realm um, for its just ridiculousness. Um, There was a owner in Romania named Gigi Bacali who was always just doing like the craziest shit you have ever seen. A, A soccer team owner? Yeah. He was just insane. Uh-huh. And so that, like, we pretty much had a weekly spotlight on him of some crazy thing he was doing. Um, you do uh, weekly episodes? Yeah, we did weekly episodes. They were about an hour usually. Uh-huh. Um, and you just talk about what happened in the previous week in soccer? Yeah, I basically would spend, like, the day before or whatever just, like, Googling different countries and soccer stories, trying to find just ridiculous things for us to talk about. Uh-huh. And then we, I'd usually have a few drinks, and then we would just sit and talk about these ridiculous stories. Yeah. And then he would go back and cut in really good music, and you know, make it sound more professional than what we were doing. Yeah. <laughs> um. So it was pretty cool. Um. That's awesome. And you, yeah. you weren't in the same area as each other, so you like recorded he lived in it in Texas. Through, yeah. So you like yeah. recorded it through Skype or I something. I think we did Skype. Um. It feels a really long time ago now, but yeah, I think we were doing it over Skype. Uh Um, but it was funny. We did that and I worked for him for like, you know, a year or two before I even met him in person. Uh Um, we finally met up, we went to, so this has been obviously several years down the road from 2010. And I think this was during 2014 qualifiers, like somewhere in there for those world cup qualifiers. Cause I know we met at a, um, qualifier in Seattle. Um, so, but yeah, it was really crazy, like, to go there, and then, like, people knew who we were. Oh, yeah. Like, that just really blew my mind, because I did it, <laughs> and also, when I first started writing, this was how I wrote, was with the idea that no one was reading what I was doing. No one was listening to yeah. the crap that I was saying. Mm-hmm. Um, so then to actually, like, meet people face-to-face that, like, knew who I was and, like, could talk to me about the articles I wrote just was really mind-blowing. It is. I've, um, I've had that a couple times where people, like, recognize Bridger yeah. in town here. And it's, just, like, so crazy because they're just like, hey, I know you from social media. It's like, whoa, that's wild. Yeah, and it's happened when I've been to Houston. Because at first when I started writing at Dynamo Theory and then as things progressed, I eventually ended up um, taking over as managing editor 
for several years for the site. Um, and I mean, I hadn't, I did this for several years before I ever went down there. Uh-huh. And so I started on Twitter. I'd get people saying like, Hey, like, you know, next game, let's meet up and have a beer and like, Oh, Hey, can you come sit with us at the game or meet up with us? And I finally had to start telling people I actually live in Montana. <laughs> um, but I very intentionally did not put that out there to start because there's kind of this perception of if you're not there and you're not local, then you don't have credibility. Yeah. You know, if you're not from Houston, then you're not a real fan. Yeah. You know, even though I spent more of my time working on that than people who would say they're real fans are. Yeah. Especially with the ability yeah. to get information on the internet now, like you exactly. don't need to be there. And to me, and maybe this is just because of my circumstances, I thought it was easier to actually watch games on my computer and then cover them writing recaps than it is to attend games in person because to me there's so much going on in person and you don't see replays you know the way you do on you know yeah, you could pause it exactly. you could pause it when you're watching on tv or or computer yeah. and like be like write down like oh yeah at this time this happened and we'll talk about that or whatever yeah exactly and i always would try to write um my recaps while the game was going on um so that i could get them up as soon as possible after final whistle Oh, yeah. So it was, so I would be doing, running Facebook, Twitter, game threads, which were something we ran on the site, and trying to write a recap while I watched the game. Doing uh, uh, update posts of the game, like when the goals and shit would happen? Wow, that's a lot. It was insane. Do they, do they still do that podcast? No, no, that, um, Zach and I both kind of started getting burned out with the podcast, um, especially him, because like I said, he was doing a lot of the back end work on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Once a week is a lot. It's really hard. And especially with something like that, where it's weekly news, like you can't do a bunch and then just can them, you know, and then use them. Yeah. It's gotta be more up to date than that. Yeah. You have to be consistently doing them. Yep. Yeah. And, and that many, and doing it weekly, you have to figure out, you know, how to make this interesting when maybe, Nothing that interesting happened yeah. all the time. I mean, usually we could find something pretty absurd that happened, but, you know, after a while, it just, it becomes a lot. And then, you know, we also have our regular jobs. Yeah. <laughs> and then we were also writing for the blog, you know, and covering games, uh-huh. you know, for domestic soccer. And then, um, I mean, originally, Zach was also finding the stories, and finally I was like, well, let me help you, like, do some of this, because I just kind of show up and say whatever and don't really do any of the work mm-hmm. um but i mean it would get hard it would be like trying to translate articles out of russian and <laughs> things like that because that's where the crazy things happen yeah you know over by russia and down where, in brazil yeah, like eastern eastern europe where a stadium yeah. collapsed mid-game or something yeah, because the soviets setting, put it up yeah people setting stadiums on fire and they're you know yeah. setting off fire bombs Smoke or whatever cocktails. yeah like whatever what's the craziest story that you ever like brought out of the show or like uh found when you're doing that i think one of the craziest ones which um i feel like this is probably a story that's happened more than once is like in brazil or colombia somewhere like that where they had um like beheaded a referee and started using his head as a soccer ball oh my god like he made a bad call yeah oh there there were definitely some with referees getting hacked up oh Um, my gosh I wish I should have checked before I came. I wish I could remember some of the old Gigi stories because they were amazing. He at one point had like 
had these paintings done of himself. And he's like a billionaire, right? Yeah. These paintings done like old school, like Orthodox, um, Roman Orthodox that have like, you know, the gold leaf of saints and things like that of himself. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and nice. Just like, just all kinds of like really random, yeah. random stuff. What is the, uh, in the soccer team like that, what is the, what do the owners do? Is it, is it similar to like what a football, an NFL owner does? Yeah. Do they, do they make like soccer decisions, like hiring decisions? Yeah, I think it depends. I mean, on with him in particular, they were low enough down that, yeah, he was pretty involved. I think there's a bit of an issue. Yeah. Um, like Jerry Jones in the bad years? He's pretty involved. All, all the years. The well, the good Jones years. Been around. In the good years, then it works out. But in the bad yeah. years, then it's like, then I, that, those years are the ones that's like, oh, Jerry shouldn't be doing all these decisions, you know? But then uh, when he went to Super Bowls, then they're like, oh, the Jerry was doing the right stuff. I hate Jerry Jones, FYI. Why? It's awful. Well, I don't like him either because he's a <laughs> Cowboys owner. I mean, you should like him because he helps with the terrible, but. Does he? What was his last bad? I mean, drafting. I mean, drafting Zeke and Dak and building an offensive line around. Yeah, building but an offensive line is a pretty good way to go about things. I mean, what's his face is still coach though. Yeah. I can't even Jason, think of his real name because Jason I Garrett. never use his real name when I talk with my friends. I don't even know what his real name is anymore. You call him? What do you call him? Um, we either make Coach Claps. No. That's what Stephen A. calls him. We um. Call him the ginger or some kind of comments about his, like, operating system being upgraded. Like, oh, man, he's almost smiling. They must have, like, finally figured out how to oh, make a robot he's, smile. He's a robot. Yeah, he's not – his mannerisms are not human-like at all. Yeah, he doesn't really do – he doesn't show, like, really any emotion, whether it's no. good or bad. No. And, like, when he tries, it's really awkward and painful Yeah, like an awkward high-five or something yeah. or tries to, like – Dap people up yeah, with like because he obviously younger players or something. Yeah, it's not good. It's not good. Yeah. Um, we feel like he probably puts a lot of motivational posters around. You know the old school ones that have like a mountain scene and it's like motivation and then some kind of cheesy quote under it. Or like the little kitty that's hanging on <laughs> says, yeah. "Hang in there. Hang in there. It's yep. almost Friday or yep. something. <laughs> it's almost Sunday for them." Yep. Yeah. Cool. So when did you <laughs> when did you stop doing that the, that that soccer stuff? Um. Actually, so the podcast ended a few years ago, and then um, as far as working on the blog, I stopped doing that in March of this year. Why'd you stop doing that? Um, sick of it combination of burnout and then just being so busy um, with work. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, people get into, and I had a problem with keeping writers, and this is a really common problem. Because everyone thinks, oh, it'd be so cool to cover my favorite team. Yeah. Like, I can watch the games and write about it. And, like, maybe I'll get to talk to some players and it'll be so cool. They don't realize that it sucks. <sighs> that it's, you have to sit there and, like, actually watch the game and write a coherent article about it afterwards. Yeah. You can't just zone out that or get you, drunk. Yeah, you can't can just sit there and drink the whole time. You can a little bit. But, in, like, you've got to... Be yeah, capable like taking of, notes and stuff. Exactly, like you have to pay attention to it. There's yeah. games every week. Sometimes there's games multiple times a week. And it's not as much fun as people think it is. And they yeah. burn out really fast. They come on real strong for a month or two, and then they kind of just start to fade out. Mm -hmm. um, Especially with soccer, it's it's 99% – 
nothing really happens. Yeah, it's um, and then of course the last couple of years the Dynamo has been not good, <laughs> and it's been pretty challenging to put together recaps sometimes. Like yeah. if there's no school goals, you can have a goalless game that can be pretty exciting with near misses, but you can also have one that they're just playing in the middle of the field and literally nothing happens. Yeah, and it's pretty challenging to recap that. <laughs> um, did you make did you make any sort of decent money doing those efforts? Not decent money, no. Oh. Well, you did make beer some. money. Oh, that's you know. Was it just like? Uh, like per article or just like here's like you get paid no, every two weeks. No, I had a monthly, I had a monthly stipend, and then okay. I had um, a certain number of articles I was supposed to do each week, day, whatever. Um, and then also making sure you know games and coverage um, was always happening. Which if no one else wanted to cover the game, that meant I had to do it. Mm-hmm. So that meant I had to cover most of the games. Um, typically, which is really challenging after a while. I couldn't, you know, I'd have to wait for games to end to go out with my friends. Uh I've missed going out on the 4th of July for fireworks with my friends because they played on the 4th of July and I had to sit in my room and cover the game because no one else would cover it. Yeah. Um, so there were definitely some different things like that of having to like give up doing things I'd rather be doing. Um, Especially with that, it's just it's it needs to be such a passion project because it's not like you said you're not getting paid a lot, yeah, and it's not easy, yeah. So once you once you kind of lose that passion to do that stuff, you just need yeah. To get out and of I it. think and I think it definitely reflected in my writing. Like um, yeah. some of the stuff I used to do, I think at least was pretty decent and interesting to read versus like and honestly doing game previews and recaps not my strong suit. I'm way better at interviewing players and, like, researching stuff and having more, like, off-the-field content. Like, on-the-field stuff actually wasn't my strength, but I had no one else to do it, so I had to start doing it. And then you'd spend so much time and brain power on that that I didn't get to do the stuff that I actually wanted to do anymore. Uh-huh. So. So how often would you interview players? Um, it depended. Um, when I first started, I used to do it quite a bit. Um, the past couple years, I didn't really do it as much. It also kind of depended on um, the relationship with the media people, with the team. Uh-huh. Um, some of the guys that were in there were super awesome about helping me get interviews and scheduling stuff, and others were far less helpful. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I think some of the players, too. You know, some of the players were more into it, you know, and wanting to do interviews, um, than some of the other guys did. So, and then they also, you know, they had some foreign players who didn't speak English, and my Spanish is not good enough to even pretend. Yeah. <laughs> like I could do an interview. You say hola. You know, yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, What's like the percentage of uh, international players in the, in the MLS? You know, I'm not while? sure. It's a little tricky because of their rules. Um, you can only have a certain number of international players on your roster, but. Oh. If a guy gets a green card or whatever, you know, they're no longer... Or becomes a citizen. If it becomes a citizen, they no longer count as an international player. That doesn't mean they speak good English. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or at least good enough for me to be able to put together a decent, you know... Is it mostly, level. like, uh, Mexican and Central America and South Americans mm-hmm. that come to Yeah. Here? Yep. And especially, like, with Houston, they had a lot of players from Honduras. Oh. 
um, for a while. So, is is the MLS competing like globally at all now? Not. Yes and no. I think it. There's some people who think that they're totally a world beater because they just think that way, and then there's other people that say it's terrible. I think it's more in the middle. Um, it was seen as more of a retirement league where top players would come, you know, to Get play. Get paid big money. Yeah. Um, but I think it's less that. I think it's more young players coming up in the league, um, especially that, you know, Central South American pipeline. Um, I think the guys that have been more successful have started to come up that way. Um, it certainly has gained popularity uh, just – yeah, around Minneapolis, they they just got a team. Yeah. And they got a new new big stadium. And people love going to those games. They're a lot of fun. They sell out their games. Minneapolis does a pretty good job. Um, yeah. Considering the team hasn't necessarily always been great. Yeah. Um, they have a really amazing atmosphere there. Um, yeah, it's sold out. I mean, the they... sta- have you seen the pictures of the stadium? Oh, yeah. I've wa- I mean, I've seen the games. I've watched the games there. And yeah, so that's right next to the a freeway. So we, And I live near there, so mm-hmm. I kind of walked got to see it go up and it's yeah. like this big for those who've never seen it, it's like this big like <coughs> uh kind of like, kind of looks like a bird's nest honestly like it's yeah it's uh kind of got a covering over the the stands and it's got these like kind of lines out on it just look like a like uh some yarn or something like it's mm-hmm. wrapped up kind of like that yeah it's really cool looking yeah the new teams that they've brought on so far have done pretty well as far as like having a lot of fans in the stands. Um, so it'll be interesting to see over time if they can keep that up. Yeah. So, so diverting away from soccer for a little <laughs> bit, um, let's talk about mountain stuff. Mountain stuff. What, uh, what is your favorite part about like being in the mountains and, and you know, what keeps, what brought you to the mountains and what keeps you living in the mountains? Oh, that's so hard to say. Whether that's a certain activity or like is a certain feeling you get. I, you know, it's more of just like how I feel when I'm here. Mm. Um, even outside of like the health stuff, it just feels comfortable and safe and like home. Yeah. Um, it just like, I, you know, I like going to the city and I like going to other places and seeing it. But just being here is just like, just makes me really excited. Um, and you get that same feeling whether you're in Bozeman or whether you're here or yeah. in Victor? Yeah. Um, I think I get it more down here than I did in Bozeman um, since this is kind of like the new place that I live. Yeah. Um, but I definitely, you know, still get it there. Yeah. Um, awesome. But I just like, I just love seeing the Teton Mountains. Like just seeing them makes me happy. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like it's, it's so simplistic, but I just love it. Um, I, I like I love that too. When when you drive here from Minnesota, you come over Togety Pass, and there's a mm-hmm. point where you're up near Togety Lodge, and the Tetons, the big three, just like pop out of yeah. nowhere. I actually drove up that way earlier today because I haven't really, oh, really driven up there that much. Um, so I just went out that way and came back, and it's like there was a herd of buffalo crossing. And it was like you know there were a few cars pulled over, but it's like this is the big traffic jam. There's like some buffalo in the in the yeah. street, and then like when I was coming back. You know, the Tetons were behind it, and it just oh. looked so oh, gorgeous. Yeah. It was so amazing. Um, did you go past Moran, or did you go? Yeah, okay. I did. Yeah. Was it snowy up there? There's a little bit of snow on the sides, but none on the um, street. 
Okay, yeah, we were thinking about so. going up to Toby Pass and doing some, like, boot pack hiking and try to do some snowboarding. Yeah, there's some snow on the ground. I don't know if you could board. Hmm. It wasn't that, I mean, it was oh, okay. maybe, like, I mean, I didn't get out of the car, but it did not seem like that Yeah, much. maybe, I mean, could you see, like, up, maybe on top of the pass will be more, but maybe, or maybe we'll just go and do a regular hike. Yeah. I know it's a weird year with no snow yet. Yeah, it's terrifying. I've said it before to people on the <laughs> podcast that, like, I'm internally panicking because we are four days, <laughs> we are five days out from opening at Jackson Hole Mountain Resort, mm-hmm. and you can almost see it from here. Oh, the two guns are really cool right now. Um, but there's only one strip of snow, of fake snow. And we got a little bit of snow a couple days ago, and I think it's supposed to start snowing tomorrow for the next seven days. Did you see that? I did not. That'll yeah, tomorrow for the next for seven days. Great. Yeah, yeah, and you have to come. You have to come here. Are you coming I'm on just, Wednesday? No, I'm supposed to go to my parents' house. Oh, okay. Because then I'm going up to Bozeman. Okay. For a trade show. Yeah, yeah, we're doing. You, you know, we're doing Friendsgiving. Friendsgiving. Here. Yeah. If I if the snow keeps me here, then I will be here. Yeah. <laughs> but um. I'm so excited yeah. about that because when it snows, like the energy that I just feel is like this, like this buzzing inside of me. It's yeah. like this is amazing, especially oh, I when love it's when just it like, snows. like fresh snow is my favorite. I don't have to do anything in it. I just that it exists makes me happy. Yeah, are you a big skier still? No, I ski a little bit, but I just have to be careful with my knees. Yeah. Um, I've started to do more um, snowshoeing. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's hasn't torn up my knees as much. I've managed to tear up each of my knees skiing, so like um, like ACL tears. No, or like, like I tore up my meniscus on oh. each of them. Um, and actually, one of them I dislocated my kneecap, but yeah, that's a thing. That's gross. Yeah, those meniscus <laughs> tears are such a bitch because you just can't do anything about them yet, yeah. and we don't we don't have the technology to fix it or. Well, they go in and take the tear out, like they clean it. They yeah, clean but they it. doesn't. Doesn't it doesn't grow doesn't back, hurt. doesn't no, heal. No, but it doesn't hurt once yeah. you clean it. Yeah. Well, but if I, you keep tearing it, it just, yeah. yeah. They keep having to cut it away, and then you don't yep. have any meniscus, and you need that. <laughs> yeah. When I, I tore my this knee, and my, my ACL on this knee playing football, mm-hmm. um, and I got so lucky that it didn't touch my meniscus, because like, that's yeah. super common to fuck up your meniscus when you tear your ACL. Yeah. Like my brother, same thing. He was playing, he was playing flag football. I was playing real football. Yeah. And he really fucked up his meniscus and tore his ACL. And so he just had a longer um, recovery time because you can't – it's not a muscle, mm-hmm. the meniscus. Yeah. So you can't, like, work it out. You just have to, like, let it sit and yeah. after the surgery just let it heal. Yeah. And you want to get, like, mobility and stuff. But, yeah, that's, that's such a bitch. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I'm super pumped about this, though. I think I need to teach my dog how to do ski touring so she can pull me around on skis. Yeah, do you cross-country ski at all? I haven't. I've wanted to, though. Yeah, Taylor I... Taylor has skate skis and then Alex, too. Oh, sweet. Um, he said he goes, like, five days a week. Of course Alex does. Yeah. He, like, <laughs> when he was telling us what our... Is after what is, he goes for a 20-mile run? After <laughs> he, he was telling us his winter routine, it was, like, finish work, then go ski at Snow King, and then go cross-country ski in the dark like that's with a headlamp nice. on and do like 15 miles yeah that sounds like alex in the dark yeah, that does yeah <laughs> like cross-country skiing is really fun but I, no, I don't need to do it in the dark right no you don't need a headlamp for that yeah i don't want to do that in the dark 
seems a little much, but kids these days. (laughs) Kids these days. (laughs) All right, so I'm getting to the bottom of my hot toddy, so I think we should wind this up. I think it's more like a lukewarm toddy at this point. Lukewarm toddy, just whiskey. (laughs) Um, But so we'll end this. Like, did you listen to any of the other episodes? Did you get to the end? Yeah. Yeah. So the the question that I ask all my guests is of the word of the words who, what, when, where, and why. Which of those words drives you in your life the most? Does that make sense? I have to say the why. The why. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And why is it the why for you? Or what is your why? Um, what is my why? <laughs> Put you on the spot. That is tricky. Because I thought about this. Because um, <laughs> it de- just depends on what it is you're talking about. But generally, it's just like, why not? Why not just do it? Why not? So yours is the why not. That was a kind of a trick answer. (laughs) That's awesome. That's, I mean, when I lived in Virginia, everyone thought I was crazy for moving out here. Yeah. And I was like, well, why not? If I don't like it, I'll just transfer back east. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about this uh, in depth on the last one. I haven't posted it yet, but it's, uh, we talked about the point in your life when you realize you don't actually have to stay anywhere you don't want to stay. Yeah. Like in... You can move to Canada. It's pretty yeah. easy to do. You can move it to Europe. You could, and obviously around America is as easy as yeah. you want to make it. Well, and that was part of with making, you know, creating this consulting business that I'm doing is also like yeah. realizing it's something that I could live anywhere. Yeah. You know, I could go live in a cave in Idaho <laughs> and be a cave person, which yeah. was also what I wanted to be when I grew up. A <laughs> cave person. <laughs> There's, okay. There was some I don't know if it was TLC or like one of those kind of channels uh-huh. but there was some like special on this guy that lived in a cave that he had made in Idaho somewhere and I thought that sounded amazing that he just lived in this cave outside of town all by did himself you like, did you like put you know human comforts into it yeah I mean he had um it wasn't I wouldn't say it was super nice but like you know he had a sink and you know, it was a nice little house, like a cat, like in a, it's a cave cabin, uh-huh. you know, and he had his garden and That's he would funny. go to town occasionally. And so I thought that was what I want to be when I'm old. <laughs> That's funny. Did you, you remember <laughs> when you first started your little business, you were saying you wanted to get like a camper van? Yes, that's that. still on my You're still doing that? On my to-do. You're trying to do that? Is to get an RV and also travel, yeah. travel around with it. Is there any sort of like location restraints in in doing the work that you do or like do you run into clients wanting you to be a local or anything um, like that? Yeah. That's the only thing is it's really more if clients want you there. Um, yeah. like this past week I drove up to see a new client in person cause I do think it's important to see people in person and see the office and see kind of how they operate and how they think. Yeah. People um, do business with people. And exactly. so even if you're telling all the right things over the phone, you yeah. sometimes need to have some FaceTime with them. Exactly. Um, you know, and I've done that with all of my clients so far because they've been, no one's been here, <laughs> yeah. but they've all been, you know, within driving distance, you know, where I can go stay somewhere for a night or two um, and meet them and get to know them a little more and really figure out our working relationship um, and what they need and where I can help them with that. But once you um, get into like doing the, doing the work, you, yeah. don't, you don't need to be from anywhere that near point, them. No. You just need to understand their business, their no. operations a little bit. Yep, their exactly. Product. Um, the only thing would be like if, you know, they wanted or needed me to go to a factory uh-huh. and see it. But again, that's just a trip. That's yeah. not, 
not moving to Vietnam. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, as long as I have access to internet and cell service, I really can do it anywhere. And that's one thing I learned is I was. Um, you know, everywhere I've worked outside of Mystery Ranch, having some of their sewing in-house, they did work with a lot of factories. I've never sat at a factory and ran it other than, you know, the in-house at Mystery Ranch. Mm. But like at Duckworth, that was all was all in the U.S., but it, none of it was in Montana. Yeah. Um, and then at Steele, none of it was in Jackson. Yeah. So I already am doing all of it long distance. Yeah. It's just that perception of, well, you're sitting in the office working. Well, I could be sitting at home in my bed and do the same thing. Yeah. I could go sit on top of the pass and do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't, you know, my surroundings don't dictate how I do my job. As long as I have internet. And I can send emails. Yeah. <laughs> so that's really all you do. <laughs> yeah. Um, are you a are you a bed? Are you do you do most work in your bed or on your couch or do you have a desk you sit at? On my couch. Uh-huh. I don't let myself work in bed. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I don't have a desk. My place is a little too small to yeah. have a full office set up. Um, so you need something like so, what I got. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, need the extra monitor. When I am doing work, whether yeah. it's like my sales job or marketing stuff, like the editing need yeah. or like big spreadsheets, you I've got, you yeah, like I've got people. an extra screen and I have somewhere where I can set up if I need to, uh-huh. um, to set up that extra screen to do spreadsheet work because sometimes yeah. you need two screens for that. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I'd say most of the time I'm usually on the couch with the dog next to me snoring. <laughs> She's hard at work. Yeah. All right, so I think we're going to wrap this up. Um, all right. So tell all the nice people where they can find you on, like, obviously you're on, you're on Facebook, but tell them your Instagram handle. Um, P Whiskey Bubbles is my Instagram handle. P Whiskey Bubbles. I, don't, I just realized I don't even follow you yet. Uh, Taylor does, so. Really? Okay, I'll go do that. <laughs> do you have any sort of <laughs> social media for your business? Um, I really don't. I technically, I started an Instagram account that's literally just a picture of my Logo, I haven't done anything else with it yet. Um, What's your logo? Do you have your phone on you? It's really just the name Kara Works in like cool letters. Oh, awesome. It's not that exciting. If um, you... I like it, but um, I went through a few iterations of possibly using my dog's head as a yeah. logo, but I didn't like any of them, so. Yeah, well, you yeah. see me, you saw me wearing that hat, right? That's our yeah. logo. Yeah. We So we, we would be, we would love to help you with any sort of like marketing oh, or branding that. stuff that. Yeah. <laughs> that you might need whether that's we have a guy that does logos for us he's a graphic cool. designer so if you need tweaking yeah. in that you can just be yeah. like hey here's what Sweet. I have can you make it a little bit more X yeah. and he'll come back with a bunch of shit or whether it's yeah. you know helping you with the strategy of setting up your social media or, or yeah. if you want to start doing any sort of ad uh, Google ads or anything like that and obviously that's, that's like a lot of work to do yeah it is right now, I mean, right now I've been really fortunate. I'm close to tapped out on hours, oh, good. which is pretty cool. Yeah. So I really only want like one more client right now. Uh-huh. Um, you start hiring people. Well, my current employee is pretty crappy, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so not really, not really a whole lot. I do have a website, which is just Kara Works, and I spell works with an X. Wow, look at you. Um, Market differentiation. Yeah. And yeah, that's about it right now. So there will be more to come in the future for sure. Yeah, but. definitely. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, everyone, thank you for listening. Uh, and like she said, you can find Alicia at P Whiskey Bubbles on Instagram. 
and uh, uh, certainly personally, I look forward to seeing your company grow and like, because I, I just really like when people take the step to do their own thing and do the job that they like to do, but for themselves. So yeah, I really like that. For sure. So thank you for coming on. Thank you.